Welcome to the Artist Profile Series, where we explore ideas that shape our world. My name is Evan Papp, and I'm the executive producer for Empathy Media Lab that publishes content on labor, political economy, art, and culture, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Asnia Asim, who is a poet and writer. We will be discussing a recently published book of poems titled Quarantine with Rilke, which conjures a language of intimacy with the self, a luminous relationship between the divine and the everyday. Asnia is the recipient of the University of Chicago's Humanities Fellowship and Brandeis University's Alan Slifka Award. Her poems have received multiple nominations for the Pushcart Prize and Best of the Net Anthology and have appeared in numerous publications. Asnia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. So I want to begin by saying how much I love this book. And I couldn't agree more with John Wilkinson, author of Lyric in Its Times, when he wrote, these poems, beautifully cut lines, make a friend of silence and loneliness through startling shifts of scale and transpositions, as though a spiritual practice, galaxies open out within. And it really is quite profound as I was going through the poems. Each poem is its own beautiful journey and exploration, and then putting them all together is really wonderful. But before we begin really going into the book, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your background. And could you discuss how you got interested in poetry and creative writing? Yeah, that's like, that's the ultimate question. I started writing poetry very early. I was like, you know, like seven, eight years old. I, I, I think I wrote poetry before I really understood what poetry was, you know, like it was just music that I heard. And in Pakistan, you know, I grew up in Pakistan, so music is just like this, it's very intense, often very intense formal forms of poetry, like ghazal are, you know, like set to music. So growing up in this kind of culture where Sufi poetry and like different forms of like political and romantic ghazals were set to music, you know, like I think it really influenced my ear. And I, I, I distinctly remember writing a poem before really understanding what like poetry is, like maybe trying to write a song and then kind of like took a lot of detours. So it's, that, that's a long story, like business school is involved in here somewhere, but eventually landed, you know, like in the right place, I feel. So on who some of your biggest influences are in poetry, who has helped influence you? Who have you really taken to and read the most? And I, I could probably guess one. I love Anna Asmatova, like the Russian uh, poet. I love her poetry. I, I love Arash Shahid Ali. He's like a like brilliant poet who wrote a lot of puzzles in English and introduced this form into English. And apart from these three, I read a lot of poetry, contemporary, and anything that I can find, I lay my, I can lay my hands on. I read it. So I can never really pin down like one particular person at any moment in time, uh, except for when I wrote this book. I think Rilke influenced me a lot because the way he meditates on the theme of death and anxieties about life and alienation in the modern world. Like I've not encountered a lot of poets. This is a very big, you know, kind of like sublime scene. And so yeah, awfully, he's a big influence. 
So also, we could probably guess a little bit of how this book of poems came together. But when you started writing these poems, what were you thinking about in, in actually creating a collection? Or was this just something that you needed to really get out of yourself as a poet and, and just the isolation maybe you personally were feeling? So with quarantine, I think all, all of us can relate to that feeling of just the, the angst and anxiety and how everything that felt normal, all the goals and ambitions that we were kind of like striving towards, right? Like suddenly everything just stopped and the stakes that felt so high before with the work that we were doing or jobs that we were pursuing projects, suddenly those stakes seemed trivial and it felt like we kind of entered this like kind of alternative reality and for a moment it felt like apocalypse and and you know when you're staring at the apocalypse the little book that you were trying to write like suddenly doesn't make sense so at the time i was working on uh, a, a novel and like a fiction project that i've been working on for a while and when the pandemic started pretty early on this story was set in the other world pre-pandemic and it just didn't feel like that fiction was pulling me in anymore because life itself became, you know, like much more surreal than the story that I was writing. And so in these moments, I always feel grateful in these moments of great intense feeling that I have access to poetry writing, you know, like I have that skill because poetry provides comfort and kind of instant relief and sometimes release, you know? So I sat down, I think just like a lot of people trying to make sense of what I was just feeling and wrote the first poem and then and the second and the third and it's just kept coming. And I, I very kind of early on knew that it was a collection and, and the title actually came to me after maybe the first or second poem, because that is exactly like you were saying, that's exactly what I was doing. You know, I was quarantining with Rilke. So it just made sense that that was the title. So you also write a lot about some of the people that you encounter, but not directly. You counter them through walls, through observation of seeing a, a woman a blouse that comes up in a few poems as well. Did you know these people or was this just a part of the exploration as, as you were just observing some of, some of these people that were living around you? So I think that, I think that's a fun question. Like, I feel like I have known traces of these people throughout my life. You know, like we've all been in these situations where we are, especially in modern day, right? Like we are intimate we're strangely kind of like intimate with strangers through our walls and, and, and like we're isolated, but like someone's footsteps or like the music that they're playing provides some kind of like solace and, and, and like, you know, connection. And many times we're unable to like go up to them and knock on their door or something and say, you know, like we, we like what the music that you're playing because that's like stalking someone. So I think that in the modern day life, like we all have had those encounters where we felt extremely lonely and also like these, like, you know, like these bursts of intimacy with strangers. And 
And I think that that burst of intimacy is what a lot of these poems are about because that burst of intimacy has like in it some hope, but at the same time, there's a lot of kind of sadness in it because, you know, it's fleeting and uh, there's a stranger. It was not really someone that you, you know, can hang out with that easily. And I think quarantine really amped up the, this feeling. Uh, so I would say that I've been in these situations throughout my life where I've noticed strangers felt intimacies with them through ceilings and through windows. And it's just the observer, I guess, in, in, in all of us. And, and then many times I think I have been these people myself. So a lot of writing is also about being that person and then looking at yourself from a distance. And so some of these images, I think, are just of the self, you know, looking at the self from a distance and noticing and empathizing with its, its, its sadness sitting on a balcony, you know, or, or, or some smoking a cigarette or something like that. Uh, and you also bring in just such a depth of these kind of ancient almost feelings of of karma and rebirth and reincarnation in some of it and you you bring in these individuals and then you also bring in this formlessness of a weed growing over bricks and it, it's just this incredible picture that you you paint with words and you're really quite a master in your ability to describe not only what you're seeing, but what you're going through internally and psychologically and, and almost the duality of ourselves that are fighting ourselves in the moment to who we want to be and who we once were. And then with the connection to, to ourselves and the generations past as well. And you bring it all together in such a succinct, beautiful way as uh, a great poet does. That's very sweet. That means a lot. Thank you. And I didn't ask you to prepare for this, but could you read a poem from this book? All right. So this film is called Horoscope and it's kind of a play on the concept of, you know, you know, like reading your horoscope and trying to make sense of the world. Right. And during the quarantine, even I think people were super skeptical about these things. Like we were just all turning to things that could make sense of things. And this is kind of just a play on that desire to turn to something, but whether it gives you comfort or not, you know, so that's what I was trying to see as I wrote this poem, if that happens. Okay, here goes. Horoscope. Today, the future will seem cold, full of thin ideas. Despite the king's promise, constellations will keep closing. Gemini, resist your usual envy of animals, tigers and frogs, unleashed from the parables of God, unholy, full of innocent sex. A perpetual gray would keep inching toward you. Come closer, take a sip from your life. What does it taste like? Try to embrace this bewilderment. The new moon can prompt hope, but much like your love life, everything will turn on what isn't. 
Today, your inner garden will ring a cacophonous green, yet death will emerge from abstraction, heart and throat, blood and bone. Prayers of angst have never come so close to Uranus and Mars, lost friendships, the erotic indifference of the barrister with lilac hair will vanish into the quiet road to your house. Being can evade nothingness no more, not in the age of Aquarius, not when breath itself has become suspect. Don't try to sublimate grief into flowers. Gemini, be brave. Accept this suburban emptiness, cold plate of lunch, base desires called up, coiled up inside you, tight fists of want. Books stare you back, sexual fantasies wet in dark. A semblance of love, if only Venus moved through you, the expanse of your bed might become bearable, still warm, no remnants of smell, but your own. Wow. Yes. And it, page after page and poem after poem, they each present kind of a, a completely unique way of looking at the world. And thank you for, for sharing that and, and, and reading that. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. So your process for writing these poems, how do you do it? I'm, I'm sure there are people who may listen to this who have written poems and have their own way of writing poetry. But for someone who's never written a poem, what is your process going through writing such a poem? I think that my process, I felt ha I kept changing, but now after seriously doing it for at least a decade, I feel like my process is the same. And I think I would chase kind of feeling mixed with sound, if that makes sense. If there was a word, <laughs> if there was a word for feelings that had sounds, that's what a poem is for me. So I first try to figure out what is it that I am feeling and or trying to convey through this image, like this image, you know, for example, recently with the murder of the journalist Shireen Abu Akhleder, I wrote a poem about that. And first I had to understand what was it that, that I was feeling, right? So like, was it rage? Was it, you know, fear, anxiety, and all of these things. And and once I have identified that at this particular moment, what I'm experiencing is the unfairness of the system or the situation or the structures of power, let's say, then I would commence into finding the sound in that moment for that feeling. And sometimes the sound is a sing song, you know, like if it's a romantic feeling, it's, it would be a sing song, but like for this poem that I'm mentioning right now, the, the sound was like very kind of like a, like a block, like a block of cement, you know, like that sounds trapped in it, you know, something like that. And so I try to find images that do justice to that sound and, 
and and the feeling kind of within it. So it sounds abstract, but I think, you know, as a musician, I think maybe you understand what I'm saying. And if one of the two is missing or not aligned, I feel like my poem kind of like falls flat or like feels contrived to me. So yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of how I approach it. Well, that helps explain the depth that yeah. you you provide the reader. And is this something that you you have a concept and you have the feeling and the sound worked out? And do you write it all in one sitting and then just edit, edit, edit? Or is this something that you put together over? Yeah, generally, I, I, I write in one sitting. Generally, they're very, the good poems. I feel like have always been pretty spontaneous and feelings of release and kind of ecstasy sometimes. It's very, it's a very satisfying, fulfilling process. Now that I have a baby, it's different. Like it gets interrupted for sure, but I'm, I'm quite delighted to find that even with the interruptions, I'm able to, you know, like get interrupted and then get back into that feeling and, and it's the sound that I'm talking about. So I think that just identifying the feeling and the sound in the beginning really helps not get lost by the, by the distractions. So largely, yes, poetry, absolutely. Mostly is organic and editing is minimal for me. Like if it's a good poem, it kind of edits itself, you know, like you just know, okay, I just need to polish these, these few lines. Fiction on the other hand is a complete, the other story. So like, we won't get into that, but that's all kind of know the difference between poetry. Like I, I know that my process for poetry is organic because every time I've tried to write fiction, it's, 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 it's not organic, you know, like it's a lot of hard work. Interesting. And for some of my very spontaneous poetry, I've found that also some of the best things are the more of the spontaneous flow of consciousness of something that yeah. is deep in me that I've been feeling or thinking and haven't been able to express where some of the fictions I've worked on are extremely challenging to, to stay on it. I mean, stay I wonder, like, I, yeah, I, I wonder, I, I, I I think there are writers who write fiction like that, you know, like the stream of consciousness. And I really admire that. Like, I don't know how they tie the plot in, in like 400 pages but while they're writing like stream of consciousness. But I, to what you're saying, and I wonder, and I want to ask you actually, if you've experienced this, I'm curious as a musician. For me, a lot of writing poetry, maturing in poetry meant taming my stream of consciousness, you know, like, I felt like when I was younger, it used to go in all sorts of places and tangents and even cliches were involved. And as I've grown older and written more and more, I feel like it's a, it's like a, it's like a dance between letting it go, but at the same time, also kind of like guiding it a little bit, you know, like steering it that, no, this is the structure. So let's follow the structure. Let's follow this rhythm of this you know, song, I, I wonder if that's your experience as you've grown uh, with your work. For s some part of it, if it's uh, music and there will be a very general format template, whether it's the blues style or 
folk or yeah. something like that and and coming with the concept of something i want to express hiking up to mount katahdin in maine and turning around and going back and what that was like from reading a newspaper headline of someone who died that day and and in maine hiking and i'm like okay was that the mountain i was on that i almost I was too scared to walk on because I was afraid I was going to die. And then I'd write a song about that. And it's very much flowed within bringing me back to that feeling. And from that, it also is very cathartic because I've had that in me of like, yeah. you've turned around and you gave up, but then you read the newspaper headline and this tragedy happened. And it's like, okay, well, there, there was reason that I turned around in that time of a, a moment in my life when I thought I was indestructible and it was like one of the first times I was like okay right. I'm turn around and go the other way so yeah I, I think having that format and template does does kind of help with expressing the concept or the idea so that's an, such an incredible experience and I don't think we talk enough about how much courage it takes to turn back you know and to have the sense to not just be the goal, goal, goal person, because I think our culture, especially the American culture, really exaggerates this idea of surmounting things. And I don't think, and you know, like really, I think there's like, as if surmounting things is synonym, like there, it's a synonym for courage and resilience, right? And I don't think people talk enough about the, the courage, resilience and wisdom uh, that is involved in letting go and and turning back when you when you're when you should. So that's a pretty incredible actually subject that you were talking about. Yeah, it it definitely has been a marker in my life. I was I don't know twenty four or something like that, twenty three, twenty four, and uh, it was you know where my ego. <laughs> through the roof. And at that moment, I realized I needed to put it a marker and maybe, you know, 20 years later, I'll go back and hike it. But at that time. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Thanks got, for sharing. This. It's very oh, cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. So moving to the question of artists in society and a poet in society and a poet in society in these days of turbulence and cataclysm, how do you see yourself as an artist in these turbulent times? That's a good question, or maybe like a really tough question, because I think that I, I think that I, I, I at least really kind of sway back and forth between what it means to be an artist person to me personally, in like the very, at a very subjective level, and then what it means to be an artist at the macro level. And I think it's this constant fluctuation and this dialogue that you know, all humans struggle with, I think, not just artists. I also struggle with the, you know, with being a Pakistani Muslim woman in America, writing in English. And I struggle with being, you know, fears of our anxiety about being pigeonholed as a Pakistani Muslim, you know, woman writing about Muslim things. And I think that it's, it's, it's a tough balance because one wants to write about their subjective experience, but then at the same time, one wants to be acknowledged as a universal being, right? Like off the universe. And so I think it's a journey and I, I struggle with it and I think about it a lot 
you know, how I am received in the poetic world or am not received and how I think of myself, I constantly fluctuate in this, you know, domain. I, I sometimes think that I only want to write like existential poetry, like quarantine with Rilke. And it was, a, I was very glad when it got picked up because I felt like a lot of the times and I wonder if this is the experience of a lot of people, you know, who are called diverse the diverse people like I felt like poems that I wrote about being Muslim or being from Pakistan and politics of you know Islamophobia I felt like those got picked quickly or like you know got more were received more or, or maybe I just wrote more of those you know and so then quarantine with Rilke was my attempt to claim the universal part of being human and that it's not just about, you know, not just about writing about your birth and your religion and, you know, the things that you will, that carry with you. So yeah, again, with the killing of Shirin Abu Akleh, like I, I know that I will always be a political writer, you know, and I will always write about the rage that I experience and the anxiety that I experience as a person who's a brown Muslim woman, you know? So I, I think it's a very cool topic to think about. And I don't think I have an answer. I don't, you know, I think this is a big part of the journey, perhaps coming to some kind of an answer. And I don't think I'm there yet. Well, to take yourself out of the equation then. And even looking at the art as a form of expression and as a form of receiving and, and, and actually engaging that art as an audience. I personally feel that art is, is one of the most important things right now in the world that's getting some of the least amount of funding and a lot of the mass media that does popular pop art, pop music, whatever, is, is just not up to what I think is actually needed. It, we're in a huge spiritual crisis as humanity. And you call it global capitalism or imperialism or anything else that you want. And I, I think that art has this ability to really shift people's consciousness. And I've, I've seen it with myself personally. And I've and I've also seen it amongst other people. And I, I was just, in some ways, like getting into this conversation, will art change the world or something like that, you know, can be sometimes a little bit over the top. But I, I just want to ask to see if you had any any comment on, on that aspect of, of art in these times. I'm obviously biased because I feel like art, you know, is my life and, and it saves me, right? Like from so many crises of the self and, you know, like society, I, I feel rescued by art on, on a daily basis. You know, even, you know, I gave birth and like postpartum blues and I still feel like oh, sometimes the only thing that helps me is a book, even if I read it now on my phone in the middle of the night. So I, I agree with you. I think that there is you know, like, I think that, and I'm not, you know, like, 
an expert on the subject and I don't know the different forms in which art is. Art exists in capital in a capitalist society, but I do think that there's something off about how art is consumed in, in, in I feel, in America. Coming from Pakistan and, you know, being married to a Lebanese and spending considerable amount of time in Lebanon, I... I can see how there are cultures and I've, I'm a part of those cultures where uh, music and poetry is, is, a, is, is a right of the public almost like it is their domain and they own it and they celebrate it and they, they know verses by heart, you know, and then it's, it's, it's accessible, but not just, it's not just accessible. It's a part of who they are. If you compare that scenario to poetry in America right now, I, I do feel a bit, you know, uh, like as if it's remote, you know, like it's, it's very remote and maybe like amazing musicians and singers have taken up that role, you know, and, but I'm not sure if, if, if they have taken up that role, I cannot say because there is a lot of robust poetry being written. So then this is a complicated question. Is it because of the capitalist society? Is it because poetry has become too academic and, you know, only certain people have access to academic uh, writing and, you know, facilities? Or is it because, you know, the American public has lost touch with poetry the way, let's say, the Pakistani public or the Lebanese public still feel connected with it. I don't know. And while I revel in the forums of poetry in America, like I do love the free verse and the freedom and the incredibly, you know, like the connoisseurs of language and, and, and rhyme and, you know, all of that. I think the Pakistani in me who grew up with poetry being recited and sung, you know, it longs for that in America and hopes that maybe one day, you know, like we're going to have that situation. Although I, I doubt it, not in my life. <laughs> so looking at the horizon and in this world of calamity, as I've already kind of laid out, where do you see optimism and hope and being a new mother as well? I mean, I am very optimistic about writing in general like I feel like just the discourse has changed so much in this country compared to when I came here right like I came in 2006 9-11 was still very fresh and I think that the discourse is very plural it's freer there's more room to breathe I'm just in awe of the amount of poets from Pakistan and like other countries that I read who are like making like big splashes on the, you know, poetry scene in America and the intellectual scene. So I'm excited about that. You know, like I feel like there's much more room to breathe and experiment now. I think as a mother, that's just you know, like that just opens up new corridors of hope, I guess, you know, like you just see the world from your child's point of view or for, for them. And I, 
I feel excited for for my daughter and like you know like I feel grateful that she has you know the privilege of I don't know like being here and like I have the privilege actually more than that she has the privilege I have the privilege of seeing her grow and maybe one day sharing my work with her I mean for now I just gave her my book to play with and like she kind of tore it apart and that just gave me some satisfaction too I <laughs> just as a play thing so yeah overall I, I feel you know I, I don't feel pessimistic about the situation I just constantly wonder, as I think a, a lot of poets wonder, you know, what is poetry in America and where is it going? Well, I am definitely going to encourage my audience to pick up a copy of Quarantine with Rilke. And would you be able to read one more poem as we close out this interview? Sure, of course, like my pleasure. Do you have any requests or do you want me to pick again? Could you do Wanderlust? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's one of the more hopeful poems in the Okay. Wanderlust or Ahmed. You opened like a new city. Slowly, I saw your measure in shades. Behind you, windows of almond blue, gates and pillars, and a lint of old tunes. Everything I had done felt like a series of subordinations toward you. Between your shoulders, the locket of glass, pain like this, cannot be healed by prayer. Your sarcasm overwhelmed me. I felt ashamed of my indelicate hands. But you were bright on the terrace, reading, unperturbed by the doves flying inordinately low. Your eyes took what was once fugitive, gave it permanence. With you, I still kept imagining being with you in an old colonial hotel, in a room with floating city views, our bodies full of sleep and real dreams, and beyond this days of clear skies, the excitement of undiscovered streets. Beautiful. Well, Asnia, thank you so much for your time. And I really think this is just a beautiful piece of art that you've produced to, for the world. And, and thank you for, for sharing it. No, thank you so much for having me. This was delightful. I really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, good luck to you with everything.